This is a Mad Dog Show preseason special. Here he is, the Mad Dog. So the Mad Dog Show is ecstatic to be doing our first ever live in-person interview with the legendary Lauren Smith. Lauren, how you doing? Great. you got to restate that, Jamal. I know several people under my roof, or one at least, would say, you know, you've got to... to Reevaluate that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that you're the definition of a DGD, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But I, I do appreciate <laughs> you carving out time for us because I know you're very busy. And, uh, you know, I feel very lucky to call you my friend. And the reason I'm able to call you my friend is because of my other friend, your son, Kent Smith. And speaking of Kent Smith, he wanted me to ask you this question. He said... Did you get to hang out with James Brown during Dooley's Junkyard Dog era, and what was that like? Well, I didn't hang out with him a whole lot, but I was acquainted with him, and I would see him when he'd come around. Uh, He came to Athens a lot, but I'd see him on the road. I remember uh, sitting down with him at the Georgia bench during practice for the uh, Cotton Bowl in 1983. Uh And his uh, song... Uh, Dooley's Junkyard Dog was uh, pretty prominent uh, back then, right. a lot of play. So we had a nice conversation. We had a mutual friend from Tacoa. James Brown was from Tacoa, Georgia. Right. So he talked about my friend John Kidd Terrell. Uh, so I, I didn't hang out with him a lot. He wasn't around that much, but when he came, he had an agenda, things he had to do, people he had to see. But it was fun being with him. Man, I, I can't even imagine. It makes me think about the time where didn't he perform that uh, that at halftime of the yeah. Georgia game? Yeah, Dooley's Junkyard <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I would have loved to have been there for that one. Lauren, you, like I said, you're the best example of a DGD I can think of. And, and I want to, and I don't need to, but I want to credentialize you for everybody. And, you know, you've got a resume that I could probably spend an hour, you know, talking about. But I think the best resume I've seen, and I'm going to read this so I don't forget anything, is your UGA bio. And it's extensive, and it'll take me a second, but this is what it says. There may be no more versatile staff member at the University of Georgia Athletic Association than Lauren Smith. The former longtime executive secretary of the Georgia Bulldog Club and 1959 Bulldog Track MVP, which I didn't know, and 1960 captain of the team, which I also didn't know, has been an important building block of what has become one of the nation's top athletic programs. Lauren has spent most of his professional life at Georgia after graduating, and during that time has held positions as assistant sports information director, business manager, and executive director of the Georgia Bulldog Club, and a member of the Athletic Association Development Office. He has also served as the executive producer of the Football Coaches Television Show, Packager of game radio broadcasts, host of Mark Rich Post Game Locker Room Show, and a sideline reporter during the games. He still serves as co-host of the pregame tailgate show, which I love to come to every time I come to a game. Throughout his career, he has served as the editor of the printed game day program and has been a prolific author, penning a regular column that appears in the Athens Banner Herald, as well as several newspapers around the state. He has written a number of books, including Glory Glory with Louis Grizzard. I'd love to ask you about that. 
50 Years on the 50, the Orange Bowl story that we just talked about. Dooley's Dogs with Vince Dooley, Between the Hedges, story of Georgia's first 100 years of football. Let a Dead Horse Rest, Let a Big Dog Eat with your wife, Berna, a collection of tailgate recipes. I'm going to buy that. Um, finish the Drill, the inside story of Georgia's 2002 championship season. Beloved Dogs, four years of David Pollock and David Green. Wally's Boys, the story of Wally Butts' years as head football coach. The Athens Sketchbook, a history of Athens and UGA. And his most, well, this says the most recent book. We'll get to the most recent book, The Football Vault, The Story of Georgia from 1892 to 2007. He's also written five books on the Masters, published by the Augusta National Golf Club. He's a native of Wrightsville, Georgia, along with Herschel Walker. He's the past chairman of the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame, which is where we are right now. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 97. He's a former publicity director of the Coaches All-America Game, former secretary of the Georgia Athletic Coaches Association, and executive director of the Georgia High School All-Star Games. He is married to the former Myrna Warren of Covington, Georgia. They have two children, Camille and Kent, both graduates of the University of Georgia, and they have four grandchildren. You've also, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, led the fundraising campaign for the new football facility. And you just so happen to call games for over 40 years with Larry Munson, as the entire dog planet knows well. So, did I leave anything out? Well, that's mighty nice. Uh, I was beginning to wonder uh, if you would take over as my press agent. <laughs> I can do I, that. I can't, but only the problem is I can't, I can't pay you. <laughs> I did, I've done all this stuff. Uh, maybe I can say I've done all this stuff. But never made any money. But, <laughs> but it was fun being part of Georgia, the Georgia singing. You know, you don't need to be a millionaire to enjoy life. I think it probably would help. <laughs> I wouldn't turn it down. But uh, living in Athens, working for the Bulldogs, was a wonderful experience. And thank God it's not over. That's exactly right. It's not over. And, and I mean, you've literally dedicated your life to the university and um, just your list of accomplishments is it's staggering. And that's why I've said you're the best example I can think of, of a DGD. And, you know, your latest book, How About Them Dogs, <laughs> that you wrote with Kirby Smart, is one of the best books I've ever read for so many reasons. Um, first of all, the way it's written and, you know, broken up, you've got the, the narratives of each game that Kirby does, but then you've got, all of these player profiles and all of these coaches' profiles that goes into great detail, you know, everything about the backstory of these players and coaches. And um, I, I don't know where to start. I guess I'll start with tell, talk to us about when you first approached Kirby about doing this book. Well, I went to him uh, in the 21 season, probably along about the Florida game. I don't exactly the weekend and told him, I said, you know, things break right for you. You really ought to think about doing a book. And he said, well, if I do one, I'd like to do it with you. So uh, uh, that got me excited. But then uh, I sort of felt like we had to win that championship. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have really a book without something to really hang your hat on. Right. Or Georgia to hang its hat on. So we, that did happen. Uh, we lost the uh, championship game, but I felt like we would still get in it. Mm -hmm. 
And that meant that uh, I put it in this position. Uh, we started a new season after losing to Alabama in the SEC title game, and it was the playoff season. Right. So it felt like we had a good chance anyway. Then we're in the Big Four. Right. And our body of work was the kind of track that had the kind of attractiveness I thought we would get into the playoff. So uh, we were so upset, our players, they were so upset. They just knew they had a bad outing. It wasn't a choke situation. But it is tough to win now. 10 games, 11 games, really tough. But someday, if we keep going in the way we're going, we may wind up with uh, you know, uh, no undefeated teams. Mm -hmm. You can't play that tough a schedule. And that's why I don't, uh, I don't really get concerned when people fuss about the unattractiveness of the first four opponents this year. Uh, and this is why I have such high regard for Kirby. I'm a Kirby man. Uh, I brought that up in conversation with, uh, with regard to the book. And he, did, he said, I don't look at it that way. Uh, it's an opportunity for teams to sustain their program. Uh -huh. Some of these teams would not be able to have a program if they didn't play a game where they made a big check out of it. <coughs> and uh, he also said, uh, think about this, those kids, uh, we're not wanting to go out there and just run roughshod over a team that has lesser personnel than we do in mm -hmm. terms of quality athletes. Um, they get to play national television. They get to play in a big, full house stadium. Uh, they get national recognition out of it. So it's not, uh, you, don't, you don't need to put it in a negative category. Take a positive approach to that. So I got to thinking about that. That really made a lot of sense to me. And now I'm of the opinion, and I say this to people, anything Kirby says usually makes sense. I can't like <laughs> say anything that doesn't. Just like uh, this book. Uh, he didn't type a page himself. He didn't type a paragraph. He didn't type a line. I did all the typing. <laughs> but his input was just terrific. I mean, it, it was fun for me mm -hmm. to record him and then go back and look at what he said. I, have, I had everything transcribed. Um, so I, I just had a, a wonderful Bulldog experience talking to my coach. He's your coach. He's mine, too. Right. I'm on the staff, but he's my coach. And I love to hear what my coach has to say. I don't always get to the press conferences, but when I do, I'm just highly respectful of how he handles the press conference, I, uh, somebody throws out the most innocuous question, he knows how to handle it. Right. He's like Jack Nicholas to me. He's very much like Jack Nicholas at press conference. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have Jack's game, <laughs> golf game. Right. <laughs> but uh, I've seen Jack Nicholas at a zillion press conferences. Uh, 
U.S. Open Masters, British Open. Uh, he asked him a, a guy asked him a question, and he'll sit there and, and stare at the guy. And it seemed like an eternity before he answered. And then he would say something, well, I suppose you could look at it like that. If you like, but I prefer to see it this way. And he mm. never answered the guy's question. He just told him what he wanted to hear. <laughs> what, what Jack wanted him to hear. Right. <laughs> so Kirby has that ability mm -hmm. to, in just an instant, whatever the uh, question is, he doesn't get ruffled. He doesn't get super sensitive and uh, fire off. Uh, just a marvelous ability to concentrate. It's just like he has great the greatest cell phone habits. Now, I don't think anybody in the country could possibly use a cell phone more than Kirby. But if he came to your house for dinner, he would turn off the cell phone and enjoy dinner. Mm -hmm. You ain't see him doing this, mm -hmm. looking down at that cell phone all night. He'll do that. When he goes to speak, like the uh, speak to a touchdown club, he'll get there early, very punctual. He will get there, make all his calls that he needs to make, text 400 times in four minutes. Uh, and then when he goes in, he, turn, he, he does not look at that cell phone. He makes you feel like if he's going, if he's going to, and he's not going to have lunch with you just for the heck of it. Right. But if he had lunch with you, he's going to stop and talk and be sociable. He's not going to be looking at the cell phone. Well, you had told me that, um, you know, because his time is, is so highly structured that uh, he told you one time, be ready. And then he called you and said, be at the airport in 15 minutes. <laughs> and then take it from there. You, you jumped on an airplane <laughs> with him. And then what happened? Well, what had happened is when I finished, I taped all of our conversations right. because I wanted to have it down right. And I wouldn't have to bother the coach. I wasn't, wasn't sure about what you yeah. said here. I mm -hmm. wanted, didn't want to bother him much. We had taped, but uh, we were taping in, uh, it was last June, not last June, but June of 22. And he said, uh, I hope that's it. I said, no, I need one more session. And he said, I don't have time, so i got to coach the football team. Now, in June, he's starting to coach. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I really got to have you address these several things. And I had a list for him. And he said, I just don't have the time. And uh, he, he was not never difficult. Mm -hmm. He was, oh, hell, I ain't got time. <laughs> you know, he never gave us any of those things, which we all do out of frustration. Sure. When you're pressed for time. Yeah. Or when you get a lot on your mind. Mm -hmm. But he said, well, what are you doing Wednesday? I said, well, I'm here. He said, well, meet me at the airport at 1030. You were going somewhere. I had no idea. Right. I later learned before we made the trip because they had to do the manifest of the flight. Mm -hmm. So we flew to San Antonio for lunch, and I interviewed him all the way out and back. He was speaking to the Texas High School Coaches Association. Uh -huh. So we flew to San Antonio, he spoke, <clears throat> and then we came home, and, and it was beautiful. I got everything done that I wanted to do, and just, just a terrific uh, experience, but he has remarkable senses. He has a sense of Timing has a sense of what to say, when to say it. He has restraint. 
he's just an exceptional person. He could teach corporate CEO or mm-hmm. something about time management mm-hmm. using the San Antonio uh, uh, situation as an example. Right. I mean, he just, you, you go in his office, you're on the clock, unless you recruit. Right. Uh, and I, that's a remarkable trait, I think, mm-hmm. to be able to stop everything when you need to. And uh, I mean, I used to say this about Nicholas, and I feel the same way about Kirby. If you give Jack Nicholas a long question, and you're on, you know, you're on the clock with him, or you, time is of the essence in any way, and he's got ten seconds to answer it. Somehow, rather than that ten seconds, he'll come up with a great answer, mm-hmm. a smart, smart, insightful answer. Uh, Vince Dooley could do that. So I'm just uh, a big fan of Kirby's. He's at my alma mater. Naturally, that that's our first year, years too, so that's our first appreciation sure. of Kirby. But I'm just so appreciative of his ability to manage so many things so well. And I suspect that uh, he's got a little advantage on most of his coaching adversaries or coaching opponents now because of the age factor. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to do, to keep up the pace, do the things that he does every day now. And he's been doing it since he got it, Georgia. That can't go on forever. So I think you see uh, Saban at a situation where it's going to be harder and harder for him. I understand if Saban goes out recruiting, it doesn't matter where it is, Miami, Dallas, Phoenix, he's going to come home mm-hmm. that night. I and mean, if he goes out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's not out, spending the night. He's, he's, going to stay mm-hmm. his, he's going to sleep in his bed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I don't know that to be true. I've just heard that. But it makes sense, and he and Kirby's the same way. When he's going to socialize, he's going to play golf, he's going to have beer with his friends. He's going to enjoy that. He's never going to be rude, but he just ain't going to do a whole lot of it. And it's going to be his turn. Meaning, he's going to choose when he takes time to do right. these things to accommodate his his schedule. Well, this this book is just so thorough you know with all these different perspectives you've, you've got the foreword written by Vince Dooley which is special in and of itself but then you know I think in between him writing that and this book coming out he passed away he did. Um, which probably makes it even more special for you and and all the readers well coach Dooley had a great insight uh, he had a little bit of a uh, you know uh, uh, aloof personality. Uh, he was really a shy man. Really? You wouldn't know that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's being in the business where he's always on stage, always at a, being at a concert, uh, being the concert himself, actually. Mm-hmm. But he was, he was sort of a shy person. And uh, he got better and better as time went on until in the end, he was down there, Dale Carnegie. <laughs> well, Barbara's not shy. No, she made up for everything. <laughs> <Yeah. that's> like. 
Um, I, I loved how you went into great detail. I mean, just explaining the game of football, explaining how the polling system used to work and how there was so many of them. And, you know, if, if you went by that, then Georgia could have, say, we're national champions in 27, 42, 46, and, of course, 80, 2021 and 22. And then I absolutely love this. You went out of your way to point out that uh, Georgia Tech claims at least five national titles, but only one of them came from a wire service poll. And that was in a year where it was split, where AP was Colorado, UPI was Tech, and UPI quickly dissolved after that. So I'm of the opinion that that one shouldn't even count. What you got, Lauren? What do you think? Well, you've got the uh, right spirit there, you know. You, you want to uh, always uh, master your arch rival. I have a lot of tech friends. Uh, I do. And uh, I, uh, it, you know, as long as it's kept on a good, clean, fun basis, right. it, it's okay. But interestingly, uh, Mad Dog, uh, <clears throat> I'm one of the few that knows this. <laughs> it's figured it out. I make them, and this is not to uh, belittle tech uh, in any way. I don't mean it that way. But the uh, the guy <laughs> for years and years, I've heard coaches complain about sports writers, broadcasters. I don't know, but you know, uh, Howard Cosell. The title of his autobiography was "I Never Played the Game." His point was, I don't have to play the game to. Uh, critique it, write about it, talk about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've always told coaches, you know, you don't have to do, be an actor to be a stage critic or a movie critic. So, uh, but the coaches have always said those things. Mm -hmm. Well, Bill McCartney uh, at Colorado, right. the year that you're speaking of, <laughs> he... Uh, he got in, involved uh, with a little uh, religious initiative. A, right. lot, a lot of coaches thought. I remember, I remember a, that, yeah. thought he was hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> so they voted for Bobby Ross at Tech, who was a friend of mine and a good guy. He right. was a good, but they voted for him because they didn't like Bill McCartney. <laughs> so I told Johnny Money, I said, Dad, you guys are always bitching about <laughs> how sports writers and broadcasters don't know how to. Vote don't know nothing. I said, you all do do the same thing. Right. <laughs> he voted against Colorado's coach because you don't like him. That's not shocking. Um, all right. One of the things that that you touched on in here that, that I think a lot of people either don't know or don't realize is the fact that, you know, Mary Beth Smart was a great athlete. She played basketball at Georgia. And – as any coach's wife, you're going to make a lot of sacrifices because right. of all the time that's involved. But it just seems, you know, outside looking in from afar, that she is a wife that really gets it and really understands, you know, that there's just going to be a lot less time with him around and, and, and is okay with that to allow him to do what he does. And, and I just thought that that was just one of those things that was great that you touched on and that you got down to the weeds on, and I didn't know if you wanted to expound on that at all. Well, I think uh, they have a very, very good marriage because they understand one another and they understand 
uh, constraint, time constraints he's going to have. But wouldn't you think uh, his kids, as they come, as they grow and mature, are going to say it's a trade-off? We had to share our dad with so many others, and sharing that included the calendar and his time too. Mm -hmm. But what was the trade-off? Look at look at what they get to do. Yeah. Look at the life they're living. Mm -hmm. I mean, when he goes uh, to a bowl game or goes to a playoff game, uh, you know, his kids are prominent in the routine. Right. And he goes to all of their games and matches, whatever it is. And then Andrew, the youngest, the uh, older two are are twins. And uh, he spends time with with his family. He, He won't let anything come between him and his family. I mean, him and coaching football team, except his family. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and they understand, and they enjoy it. I mean, when he went out to Texas to speak for the Texas High School Coaches Association, which we got into earlier, uh, he told the coaches, you can always find time for your family. You can work. And that's why he is such a an advocate, such a great aficionado of protecting his time. Mm-hmm. Now, he will have a beer. He will spend time with his old friends. He, he'll do that. He'll find a way to do some of that. But he's never going to neglect his family. Like he comes, he take, he, when they were younger, I think he always took them to school so he could spend time with them. And then he would, you know, that meant he wouldn't be on for supper. Mm-hmm. But they got to see him in the mornings. So he managed his family really well. And then when the season was over, recruiting was uh, put to bed or going to bed, he, uh, he he takes a trip to the islands with his family. We go where ain't nobody going to uh, cause them a problem. Right. They got his undivided attention, except knowing him as I do. I know he finds time in there. He so said, look, I won't be tied up from 10 to 11 Right, right. <clears throat> so he gets in his work as he travels, too. He's very, very organized, very, very efficient. Well, I, I think that those skills with him are, are now becoming just legendary. It's just part of his makeup and how he's able to be so successful. And you did such a great job of, of you know, describing him and, and what made him who he is and, you know, all the way down to the detail of having his salutatorian speech in there yeah. and having a special section about his parents. And, um, I mean, it just, it, this is the kind of book that you read more than once, right? I think I told you this when I first got it, I just started flying through it because it's just so readable and so good. And then I, I said, no, I need to change my whole, strategy here, I need to slow down and really try and absorb, you know, maybe a player a day, but it's so much fun to read and just go back and, and re-experience that year. And it's so cool, you know, going back to it yesterday, looking at players that were in there for this one that are still around now, yeah. you know, coming up on the three-peat and just, just things that you put in there that, you know, I haven't thought of like this. You assembled these facts. It took Dooley 16 years to win a national championship. 
It took Bear Bryant 19 years to win a national championship. It took Saban 14. It took Bobby Bowden 28. It took Woody Hayes, which a lot of people won't know. He's Ohio State. It took him nine years. It took Dabo nine years. And then you threw John Wooden in there. It took John Wooden, the great basketball coach, 18 years. Bo Schembechler, 13 Big Ten titles, won 194 games, but he never won a national championship. One of the greatest coaches of all time. And then Kirby comes along, and he does it in six. And he got to his first national championship in year two. And I maintain Tyler Simmons was on sides, and I will always maintain that. So technically, in my mind, this is the third, and we're going for our fourth. Um, so, you know, again, the book is just sprinkled throughout with heavy doses on the player profiles and the coaches' profiles, which I really like because there are a lot of those coaches that, you know, you know who they are, but you don't necessarily know their whole background. And just learning about them and their makeup and where they've been was just so interesting. And out of all the players in there, I have to ask you for your thoughts on Stetson Bennett. Because that was my favorite profile read. <laughs> well, Stetson uh, was the old rags to riches kind of story, I guess. Uh, being undersized and small town. But uh, I, I think small town... Heroes are the greatest heroes, <clears throat> and it's proof that you don't have to have any, you don't have to be born with a silver spoon in your mouth to be able to succeed and survive. Right. Uh, and it was a wonderful story, and uh, he uh, he really, uh, I think, uh, uh, had uh, oh, I think he. Got a few things off his chest when he, <laughs> when he had the incident at the celebration. Um, but he's underdog, undersized, underappreciated. Uh, I don't know what he's going to do going forward, but uh, he feel remembers his old friends, and I think he eventually get around to practicing. Uh, Reaching out to Georgia people, they love him. He'll have a he'll have a wonderful life, and maybe he can uh, do enough uh, to uh, find a way to be admitted to the college football Hall of Fame. Right now, he can't do that because he's not all American. Right, which which is crazy. At, At what point during this season did it kind of crystallize for you? okay, he's the guy, he's going to be our quarterback, and I I believe he can get us there. Well, you know, I don't really worry about those kind of things. That's the coaches worry. I just sort of react to what's here. It's just like people get all excited about the recruiting. And I do too, because I can see, you know, that if you don't recruit, you ain't going to make it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why Kirby is uh, so successful because he just is the best recruiter. He makes the best decisions. I know a little uh, vignette in there by, uh, oh gosh, I'm already forgetting the old graybeard of the the team, uh, Roosevelt. uh, Oh, not Roosevelt. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm having a single moment here. 
But anyway, uh, he uh, he had a uh, interesting vignette. He was upstairs. Uh, I don't know if he was changing clothes or whatever when Kirby first came to visit with him. He said, by the time I got downstairs, he had my mama and daddy laughing and having the best time. I remember that, yeah. He can, who, who's our player? I can't believe him. Oh, yeah. gosh. <clears throat> He's a... Was it Schaefer? Sawyer? No, no. it's... <laughs> that better, not that better. Uh, anyway, he, he said that uh, he'll always appreciate Coach Mark because he made him feel important, mm-hmm. feel like he really wanted him mm-hmm. to come to Georgia. So he, he um, all of his skills, he's got a marvelous, marvelous ability to communicate. And uh, one thing about him is he, uh, he expects discipline. He, he encourages him to get a degree. Mm-hmm. I've heard him counsel with kids about personal conduct, how you need to handle yourself. Uh, and he, it didn't look like it with some of the events that surfaced after the, uh, after the, uh, accident. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunately claimed two lives and that can happen anywhere. I know of a situation where this happened near me. Uh, I had a couple of student assistants. Got stopped for super speeding. Bad, not bad kids, good kids. But who's going to get a car today? Nice new car if their families are affluent enough to give them a new. They're not going to get heavy footed. Well, I, I told you uh, when, when we had dinner in Athens that I had, you know, my crazy theory was. To put a stipulation in, into scholarships where you could show up, you can have a car, but after that first ticket or after that first super speeder, it's parked till the end of the season. And you told me that that probably wouldn't work with the advent of the transfer portal and NIL. <laughs> and then you also, I, I, I was feeling, uh, you know, excited about the new season and I said man I've never been this relaxed and I just feel like we're playing with house money and then I'll never forget you kind of gave me the side eye and you kind of snarled a little bit and you said we don't need that spilling over to the players (laughs) (laughs) well that's true if the uh, players buy into everything and the last two teams in particular have uh, you got a you got a big advantage, but if they don't, then you got a problem. Yeah. It's like drinking heavy wine. If your players start drinking that heavy wine, you got a real problem, mm-hmm. and that's Kirby's job. Right, and and he just does not want them to think any game is easy. Right, I can I probably could recite his speech after the uh, Missouri game last fall. Had a hard time beating Missouri. Mm-hmm. That would have rained on our prairie bad. bad. And he just, I mean, he said, you can't take anybody for granted in this league. This league is tough. If you don't prepare every game and play 
uh, with the greatest commitment and urgency, you, you, you can get beat by a much lesser team. Especially on the road. On the road, exactly. All right, I'm, I'm going to wrap up with uh, a question unrelated to football, but it's always fun to ask. You can have a dinner party of five people, living or dead. Who would you invite? Well, you and your cameraman. <laughs> you can't have us. But anybody in the history of time, living or dead, whatever pops in your mind, go. Well, let's see. I'm living or dead. Well, I would have liked to, I would probably like to talk to uh, Babe Ruth. Exactly what Darren Oka said last week. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> and you know, there's a Babe Ruth connection to Athens. His uh, his uh, second wife, uh, who became the wife who settled him down, uh-huh. uh, was from Jefferson, Georgia, and she was married to a man in Athens who uh, was sort of a became, came from a, a very substantial family, but mm-hmm. he. Uh, Came in there do well, and so she left him. She had a little child. Her name was uh, Clara. Uh, no, excuse me, Julia Ruth. And uh, she lived in uh, she lived in New Hampshire. Uh, but she couldn't stand the cold, so she wintered in Arizona. So I went up, found out where she lived, called her, went and interviewed her. But. Uh, her birth dad is buried in the Oconee Cemetery. But I'd like to talk to her, baby. Okay. Uh, I did get to, I did get to interview Red Grange, Ted Williams, people like oh, that. Oh wow. And but I'd probably want to invite Babe Ruth, Harry Truman, he's my favorite president. Right. He's just the average Joe who understood it wasn't important to get uh, drunk on all the uh, adulation that comes with being in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. I wish, wish Donald Trump could read his books <laughs> 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 and buy me to Biden, too. Uh, and I'd probably invite Billy Graham. Okay. So that's three, and I gotta have five. You gotta have five. You, doesn't count you, so when we're done, it's a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see. I, uh, how about Amelia Earhart? Wow. We'll be able to find out what happened. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. <laughs> oh. Oh, I didn't like my parents, my mother and dad. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's really cool. That's more than five. That's okay. We'll, 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 let, we'll let you, we'll let I, you do uh, that. They were on. I came from humble uh, circumstances and environment, but mm-hmm. they were good people. My mother and dad were a salt of the earth type. Mm-hmm. So I would like to include them. Wow. And think... invite you to be the chef. <laughs> well, I don't know if you'd want me as your chef, maybe the waiter. <laughs> I just want to be in the Bartender. room. Bartender. Yeah, there you go. I just want to be in the room. Well, thanks again, Lauren, for joining us and carving out time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, man, great job on this book. I'm going to read this book again. My kids are reading it. One day my grandkids are going to be reading it. And 
hopefully after this season, maybe you'll be uh, coming up with a book for the three-peat. Well, if we three-peat that, I think I can safely predict <laughs> there'll be something else. Okay, good. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, well, the pressure to win is going to be a problem. That's why I hope we can get some momentum with the uh, relative strength of the early games. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, you never, nobody's ever invincible. Right. But I think Kirby understands that. And when he came home from Indianapolis after the first championship, and it's in the book, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but uh, uh, it's on the wall. You know, if you if you win with humility, you keep on winning. But if you don't win with humility, or if you don't invoke humility after a great success, then you're sure to get beat. Uh -huh. The biggest thing is to carry that number one ranking right on and on and on. And uh, if if we if we somehow or other can maintain this marvelous rapport and marvelous uh, uh, camaraderie, I think that'll take us a long way. And uh, I say that three P is possible but not probable. But if anybody can, Kirby can. And Vegas likes us, and Vegas somehow usually has a way of picking a winner. I hope we don't break the streak. I hope we don't <laughs> break the streak either. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lauren. Great to be with you. It's fans like you who make a big difference in what Georgia is because uh, you, need, you need fan support. We're having a lot of we're having a lot of fun uh, preaching the gospel about the dogs and uh, again everybody needs to go out there and buy how about them dogs. Thanks for joining us.